I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. Today we're talking Godzilla versus Kong. That's right. It premiered yesterday on HBO Max uh, and will be in theaters most uh, anywhere that, that have open theaters. But yeah, we're going to be talking about that amongst other things. I think we'll have a little discussion about who's Team Kong and who's Team Godzilla. Who, and we're who probably going to spoil some stuff, so I would, I, would get, I would gird your ears. We'll warn yeah. you when it's time, but uh, at one point we will discuss the winner and uh, allow the respective party to party or parties to... Uh, Really, I think the winner's already written all over your face. I will say, I will say, I don't know if it's just the the digital camera, but it does look like Libby's wearing green. Oh, I am. Oh, interesting. And pants. Hmm. Wow. That's... Gotta support the home team. It is millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. Uh, this upcoming Sunday, Easter Sunday, will the SAG Awards will be airing on uh, TNT, TBS? Yes. Maybe all what? of the above? Maybe all of the above. TNT and TBS! Wow. But it's only an hour long, so really it's not that big of an interruption for them. <laughs> <laughs> a hostless virtual cer- <laughs> ceremony. Funny. Essentially just a, a, list of, a list of winners, an hour-long list of winners. Um, which is how maybe all award shows should be from now on? No, no, no. Let's not go crazy. <laughs> I mean, if it's a list of winners and they show clips, then we can talk about it. But if it's just a list of winners and somebody saying and somebody saying thank you, then I, I can't get on Clip, board with that. Clips and winners. We want clips and winners. That's what award show should be moving forward. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to uh, touch base with you guys in in uh, advance. Of this, just what are you guys thinking? Is it going to be more of the same? The crown. Ted Lasso, Queen's Gambit. I mean, I have no reason to think it won't be. You know, the actors aren't exactly iconoclastic. They'll uh, choose. They'll go out of the box sometimes. I know um, Ben was very excited last year with Jennifer Aniston, Sagwin. Uh, she was not successful anywhere else, but we don't uh, she did yeah. take home the SAG Award. But yeah. then, like, if you're looking at their their TV winners from last year, it was, you know, the leads of Fosse Verdon, Sam Rockwell and and Michelle Williams and Peter Dinklage for Game of Thrones and Tony Shalhoub and, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge for Maisel and Fleabag, respectively. And then the ensembles were The Crown and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Like, that's, that is who, at that juncture, we assumed kind of the the winner's would largely reflect uh, when the Emmys came around, and um, partially because most of those people had already been awarded at the previous Emmys, but um, also because they were in play uh, coming up, which to me says, look for Schitt's Creek to have its final stand here. There'll be a lot of Schitt's Creek winners 
um, where Schitt's Creek doesn't win, look for Ted Lasso, which is what we've seen at all of the awards uh, things to date. I think you could definitely look for some Bridgerton up, uh, upsets here, uh, though SAG's awarding the Crown Ensemble last year for an ostensibly bad season of the Crown as far as those things go. Um, it's kind of an indicator that they don't, they don't care about quality as much. Um, but yeah, like Ben, Ben, what do you think when you look at these? Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it'll be very interesting to see. It, I mean, it seems like an inevitable crown sweep uh, in the drama categories. Again, there's only three drama categories, three comedy categories, and two limited series categories. Which, by the way, Libby, when are we going to get a limited series ensemble? Like, there's just so many limited series at this point. They're right up there with the rest of them. I don't know what they're waiting on. I know, like, I don't either. It's so often especially as I'm looking ahead to the Emmys, you know, increasingly the two big most competitive categories are drama and limited series. Oftentimes with limited series outstripping the drama season race. Uh, so it's, it's, it's unfortunate that, that the SAGs have not kind of moved to incorporate that. But um, yeah, I mean, especially this year when there's, just so many limited series in competition like and there will be even more at in competition for the uh, the emmys but I, w- I would say that like of all of the awards that mrs america should have won i, I think the sag on uh, uh, an imaginary sag ensemble cast is 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 was made for them uh right. but not made for them because it doesn't exist but uh <laughs> yeah getting back on point uh i do think there will probably be a crown sweep my one hope is that uh Reggie Jean topples Josh O'Connor uh, for actor. Um, really, I hope that Bob Odenkirk wins that, but I think that seems pretty <laughs> out of reach at this point, sadly. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I think we're going to see a lot of repeats. Um, I think that the the limited series race, as Leo alluded to, I think before we started recording, uh, between Michaela Cole and Anya Taylor Joy, uh, both nominated uh, for the first time in an expected race at the Emmys. Will be interesting to see who triumphs there, um, but yeah, I, I I think I'm most interested at this point in the structure of the show, it being pre-taped and an hour long. Uh, I just I just am really curious what it even feels like. Does it? Are we even going to remember this? Is, the, is there going to be an impact from the sags? Uh, an hour seems really great on the one hand, and also just kind of empty on the other. So how they fill it with life is is kind of my. Uh, top of mind concern at this point i am very excited to see what will be longer the sag ceremony or how long it takes you to write about the sag ceremony Ooh, uh, yeah, it'll, put a clock on it. it'll be the writing i i don't think i could do it in under an hour uh well skipping ahead to the next item on our clicker uh obi-wan kenobi new series from star wars and disney plus uh, they dropped this insane sort of like cash sheet a couple days ago. Uh, and I just wanted to get real quick hit thoughts. What's the craziest face slash name on on this cash sheet? Like, I don't, I can't, I kind of can't believe like we're talking about, like, I feel like uh, Benny Safty is a home run there. Uh, as far as the, being in a cast for a Star Wars series on Disney+. Plus. Um, 
yeah, I don't even know what else to say about that. Like, I, I, I just, I thought maybe it was a prank. Like, when I saw this cast, because it has legitimately, like, how many people on it? I think it's 12. 12 people. 12 people on it. It's bananas. I, I honestly think the most exciting thing about Disney casting these days, and I know we've talked, I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, it's like we're not learning who's going to be in the show and getting excited to see Benny Safdie in a Star Wars series. We're learning, oh, Benny Safdie is part of the Star Wars universe now, which means Disney is aware of him, which means he's going to have a little money to play with and make some really fun shit after this. Like he's going to be, he's going to have a little more freedom to do what he wants, which is really, really exciting. Um, and I would say that, that that also holds true. For someone like Rupert Friend, who I've always liked from Homeland, he was also part of the Obi-Wan cast, um, and Joel Edgerton, uh, uh, an actor and filmmaker who I greatly admire, uh, and if this helps boost awareness of Joel Edgerton's filmography, perhaps a four, few more people watch Warrior, and perhaps we get Warrior 2, oh man, Obi-Wan will be the MVP TV series of all time. Uh, that's a big, big leap, but that's really all that I've got in terms of excitement i mean it's quite a cast sung kang is on there i mean what are we talking about joel joe reprising his role as uncle owen from the prequels uh i forget i remember reading a story about like the fact that when he got cast in he like went around got meetings and like got cast in this thing and essentially lied about his experience before getting cast joel is a savvy savvy man I found that what it was, he didn't bluff his way or lie his way into Star Wars. He said that essentially after he was cast in Star Wars and filmed his part, there's such a long post on those movies, or essentially 18 months between when he filmed it and when it was released, he used that 18-month window to take, like, every meeting in the world. And he would just say, like, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in the upcoming Star Wars movie. Like, I have a part, I, like, I can't tell you, obviously, under wraps, but, like, he used that line to get into a bunch of offices to try to get other movies he wanted to get made in the pipeline. And it's like, way to go. A plus Hollywood gamesmanship. I love it. Yeah, he said, uh, I'm in Star Wars. I'm not telling you that I'm only in it for five minutes and I don't have a lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> well, last week we talked a little bit about uh, the state of HBO Max as it sits. Uh, I wanted to update a little bit just because I came across this stat on online which is the week of justice league's release hbo max saw an eight percent uptick in use in its app uh and a 64 percent uptick in downloads this is according to aptopia uh which i guess measures app opens and and usage it's still in terms of total app sessions a drop in the bucket compared to what netflix gets on average but it was sort of telling to say that Maybe this strategy is, is panning out, uh, and maybe it'll pan out even more with the release of Godzilla vs. Kong, uh, which we've teased a little bit at the beginning of this episode. Ben, before we get into any spoilerific discussion, I know you want to sort of talk about you know, what this means. We've been talking about WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier for you know, several months at this point. But uh, what, the, what Godzilla vs. Kong entering the TV space, as it were, uh, means overall to the various cinematic universes. Right, right. I think I think cinematic universes are really the the, the key word. And um, I, I don't want to lie to the listeners. Uh, I don't think I could. I don't think I'd be able to get away with it. 
Uh, we are talking about Godzilla vs. Kong because all three of us are extremely, extremely excited about Godzilla vs. Kong. That is the real reason we're talking about Godzilla vs. Kong. But this is a TV podcast. We try to talk about TV. Um, if you are disappointed that we're not talking about Falcon and Winter Soldier this week, technically we kind of are going to get into that in a little bit. Um, but this is the latest entry in what has been referred to. I don't know if it's officially referred to as the MonsterVerse. Do we know if like that's part of... Oh, I a- just said that. I don't know if that's what it's called. <laughs> no, but like people call it that. I just okay. don't know if like Legendary Pictures and Warner Brothers Films releases that in their... Or uses that in their press releases. But this is the this is the cinematic universe that started with the 2014 yes. film Godzilla. Oh, they do? It is the MonsterVerse. The MonsterVerse. Right. I do yeah. think that's kind of confusing if only because um for anyone who remembers when... the old the old movie monsters right the, the, yeah the, the frankenstein kind of thing right. that was supposed to start a new universe of itself the remember. dark universe uh it's like well that could have been called the monsterverse 2 so this is a little bit whatever but anyway the monsterverse 2 no <laughs> as well no no the no, no the monsterverse well. comma two. Oh, okay monsterverse like uh n-o period two. okay oh boy um but no i i think that i think that talking about these in terms of cinematic universes and how often cinematic universes are compared to kind of serialized tv and just kind of noting um you know what they're borrowing from serialized storytelling that we see so often on television to make these cinematic cinematic universes work as well as kind of the general appeal of the cinematic universe to people who are viewing everything on the same platforms these days who are watching tv on the same service that they watch movies especially right now where hbo max is releasing these movies you know directly into homes uh that are as well as theaters but directly into homes um, so yeah, I, I, I thought it would be good to kind of, uh, talk about that a little bit this week, as well as, again, getting into the nuts and bolts of, of Godzilla versus Kong and what went wrong with what, uh, could have been the best movie of the year, uh, if not for some clearly misguided well, you're calculations. Literally, you're literally complaining about Black Panther right now. Do we want it? No, I think so. Do we want it? Uh, do we want to talk about the poll we, we, we had first before we talk about yeah. the... Yeah, I think that's another great it's way a good place to start. This. So yeah, we, you know, Ben, ben sort of talking about how this is sort of uh, the cinematic universe is bleeding over into television. We did post a poll on, on IndieWire asking how people were planning to watch Godzilla vs. Kong. 43% essentially said uh, HBO Max would be where they were watching it. Um, 16.9% said in theaters. 8.8 said on IMAX, and then 32%, a very large percentage of people, not the not the majority, but a large percentage said none of the above, not interested in watching uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. Though I would want to add that I think some of that, at least a percentage of that, is uh, fans of Zack Snyder's Justice League coming out in support of restoring the Snyderverse, uh, and wanting Warner Brothers to give Zack Snyder carte blanche to finish his five-movie uh, Justice League arc. Um, so we don't get an accurate reading of how many people actually did not want to watch Godzilla vs. Kong. This is happening concurrent with a uh, movement on IMD.com to give Godzilla vs. Kong one-star ratings, which have nothing to do 
with the movie itself solely to tell Warner Brothers that they want Zack Snyder to be able to complete his five film Snyderverse. A lot of the comments actually will say things like, the movie is good. This is for Warner Brothers Restored to Snyderverse or movie five out of five, Warner Brothers zero out of five, uh, things along those lines. But yeah, still, HBO Max won out. More people want to watch on HBO Max than Snyder Bros not wanting uh, anyone to watch Godzilla vs. Kong. And more people wanted to watch it in on HBO Max than the combined total of in theaters and IMAX, which, you know, obviously IMAX is also a theater. Um, but it is it is strange to see these two obviously distinct cinematic universes, I guess if we're calling the Snyderverse that, uh, warring with each other uh, for no real reason whatsoever other than a kind of confusion, I guess, over... Uh, you know how movies are released and like how long they take to make them and, and where I the mean, priorities are placed like i snyder bros have no reason to think that this won't work uh, is the sad thing about the release of the snyder cut is like there's no reason for them like they don't understand correlation and causation and and they don't care and <laughs> they're just gonna keep doing what they do uh and ruining good polls this podcast puts out. I did want to read one good comment uh, from someone rather close to the pot. We had some, we had plenty of comments uh, on Twitter underneath the poll, which you can read for yourself if you want. Um, I didn't receive any emails this week, which was uh, somewhat surprising. But um, is your mom mad at you? <laughs> she, I think she's still uh, waiting to see Kong versus Godzilla yeah. before chiming in. She just has to be as informed as possible for before delivering her take. Um, but friend of the podcast, I think I'm using this correctly. Uh, Steve recommendation machine green chimed in saying I voted in this poll, even though there's no option for the true correct answer, which would be rewatching Godzilla 2014 instead. Um, and I honestly think that's a pretty good lead in to discussing this cinematic universe, because again, this started, I know like Kong and Godzilla have a long legacy in theaters, outside of theaters, just unto themselves that we're not going to dig into. We're going to focus on this newly established cinematic universe, which started in 2014 with Gareth Edwards, Gareth Edwards, Gareth, Gareth, Gareth. Okay, great. 2014 Godzilla. Um, and I do think there's like a very interesting through line from where that movie started. Like that movie had such like a specific vision to what it wanted to be. Uh, it was very distinct from the rest of the franchise and what the franchise has clearly grown into. Um, it wasn't a huge hit. It did well enough. It made about 560 million worldwide, 200 million in the States, but against a $200 million budget, that's not exactly where they want it to be. And yet it still birthed this universe. It's still like they kept growing from there to see where they could take it. Um, and it just quickly turned away from that. Like the, the first movie is like very much um, making a statement about, I mean, I think Libby could probably speak to this better as a Godzilla fan, but making a statement about the purpose of Godzilla and what Godzilla represents, uh, especially in a, in a world where humanity is, is kind of tearing itself apart and, uh, you know, eating itself from the inside but by the end of it by kong versus godzilla it's just action figures smashing together it's just the battle royale there's no i don't think there's really any commentary within the last godzilla 
uh, film, but it just slowly got bled out of the series. I'd, I'd argue that the second film, Kong Skull Island, also had plenty of commentary about kind of using Kong as a as a Vietnam surrogate, where uh, he was the he was just kind of the innocent bystander who was on the island, and they started dropping bombs, and he's only reacting, and then they turn him into an enemy because they needed an enemy at that time. And it was like, okay, I guess this kind of works. And then they just slowly turned it into, well, Kong is just a nice gorilla, and he needs to find his family, and that's what that's all you need to worry about. Uh, so they turn Kong into a protagonist. They turn Godzilla <laughs> into an antihero. And it's wild because people just really want them to see them go full rampage. All right, so so now I'll just this is the official like we're going to talk spoilers, spoilers Godzilla v Kong, because we've been traipsing around uh, the spoiler patch for for a little bit. Ben may have said a spoiler or two in his last sentence. I'm so sorry. I'm terrible at this (laughs) about about Kong looking for his family. Well. Aren't we all? Um, uh, yeah. But no, I, I, I mean, I'm just curious from from your standpoint. Actually, let's start with Leo because I know you had a kind of a negative reaction to all of these movies. Uh, <laughs> what did you? What do you think actually sustained interest? And in how do you think of the development, like from the first movie through this fourth and like at least uh temporarily final chapter yeah. like a, a some sort of finale-esque season finale-esque bookend yeah uh, let me just say this i don't know if i would ever not watch one of these movies on streaming <laughs> like I, I don't know if i would ever pay money to maybe there is something to the spectacle of watching fire breath uh yeah i think all these movies have issues i don't think any of these movies are quote-unquote good after finishing godzilla versus kong i my my thought, my, my my first thought was uh, that was stupid fun. It's it's stupid fun. Uh, there's nothing there. There is no social commentary. There is no human character to glom onto to be like this is my surrogate. Uh, it is literally a smash 'em up uh, with the most. And I think this is my main problem with all of the movies is the scientific gobbledygook that all of them sort of espouse. Truly insane. Um, uh, wow, I didn't know you didn't believe in a hollow earth, but okay. <laughs> yeah, Look, I'm not a big believer in the hollow earth. Get on board. <laughs> which, is, right. which is crazy coming from me, I know, Ben, as, as I think the, the preeminent fan of the MCU on the podcast, where it's like, there's magic and aliens, but like some of the rules of our world still apply, whereas like this is like in that, in that fantasy world the earth still has a solid core and a molten lava core the outer core that surrounds it <laughs> they're not traveling to the like center the of mantle the earth and the... i, I yeah. had a lot of questions when they got to the hollow earth um you know just in general but the main one was just shouldn't it be hotter like shouldn't it be shouldn't it be hotter? smaller it should also be very small and like claustrophobic how was there where was what was their light source It's just the hollow earth, Livy. You learned you learned to forget it. If they were traveling to a different planet, I'd believe it's the it more. Hollow earth. It's the, it's it's uh Forget it, forget it, Livy. Forget it, Livy. It's it's hollow, hollow earth. earth. Hollow earth. I guess the ground is reflecting itself because there's like ground above and ground below and the cracks in it 
uh, from like wherever the molten earth actually exists or the core is uh, glows up and then reflects back and then glows down and reflect. I don't know. I just and also the yeah. Also, there's no gravity. Gra- split. Yeah, gravity split where the you have the floating rocks. This is like someone took all of Chris Nolan's movies, shook them up, and we're like, let's have a world that's like uh, it's part Interstellar, it's part uh, Inception, and that's and but also it'll keep the the King Kong and, and Godzilla of it all. Uh, still more fun than half of Nolan's. Uh, Oeuvre. I mean, I could go. Oh, I could go oh, for oh. hours on my kvetches on this movie. Like it gets, it yeah. takes Godzilla no time to drill a hole to the center of the earth. <laughs> like it takes, him, it takes him, like it's, yeah. I feel like it takes him a minute and a half to get from outer core to the hollow earth. That is very well, fast. But also, then Kong crawls through that hole I after know, originally I... he had to get like sucked down through a gravitational thing. That then like twisted things around and like shot like and he just was like no 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 I'm just gonna take the stairs this time which don't I don't know I think he but it was still a hole again it was a hole like, it was still a hole but but he wasn't climbing out he was falling down again my big thing not is- when he came to fight Godzilla when he came to fight Godzilla he like crawls out of the hole and is like he here I am out of the hole but he falls into it from Hollow <laughs> right. Earth because yeah. he's I remember he's using his little axe yeah. so he doesn't go too fast. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. I, I, I would. I would say this is like when you when you dig a hole and you come out in China. This time you dig a hole. That's and exactly you come out in Japan. what it was. I, that is exactly what it I was. I would say uh, what my my another part I didn't enjoy there was like as a team as a team Kong guy. How are you gonna go right up the same hole where he just blew the hole with his fire breath? <laughs> Not smart. Yeah, he could just Not he could a catch smart in the idea. middle there. You're in trouble. I'm going. Yeah. I'm going to around. I'm going to a different hole, and then coming back around the planet, so he can't get me with laser breath on a second shot. That's crazy. You know what, Olio? He knew that there was no more air support to carry him back from where the other holes exit would have put him, uh, and he had to stop Godzilla no in that support. moment. So he's just a hero. Like there's he's no just water support. A friggin' hero. Uh, I, um, I've right, gotten way off on. track. I, I've gotten way off track. All right, no, yeah, so I movie. do have a question related to what you're talking about, and and that's. When, when we look at a lot of these cinematic universes, one, I think the, the go-to that we talk about is, is Marvel because it's just the most successful one. Um, there is a very consistent kind of look to Marvel movies. There's a very uh, similar structure to a lot of the Marvel movies. Um, and they also connect rather cleanly from one to the next. Like that's been one of the kind of appeals within them. Um, the thing that stands out to me again about the, the development of the MonsterVerse franchise is that a lot of this gobbledygook started popping up in, I mean, Kong Skull Island, but really Godzilla King of Monsters, just a ton of it. Just very, very, we're throwing everything out the window. Uh, just kick back and have fun. And then it ends in that same point where, like, it's just silly. Like, there is not, I do not think the people who really responded well to the first Godzilla would respond well to where the franchise ended up. So is it like so so what's the through line? Like is it just the fact that we have an attachment to these characters? Is it just that we want to see the monsters smash and fight and we're just gonna go with it, like you said, because it's available on streaming and we don't have to pay the money? Like Libby, what what is it that made this thing last for four movies? Uh is it I I don't I my answer I, think, I guess is just IP, but I don't know. I think well yeah. Forcing the IP down our throats. Yeah. Uh 
so I was a big fan of Godzilla 2014. I have heard it has not aged that well, um, largely because there aren't actually human characters to glom onto. But the fights in that, um, the spectacle of that was so memorable that that's all I left. Uh, and you have to understand, I'd never, I had seen Peter Jackson's Kong, and I think I'd seen the original Kong. And I'd seen pieces of the, the like, 70s um, mm-hmm. Kong. Uh, big monkey gonna die. Everyone cry. Um, That's very sad. Right. Um, so, but I, I didn't, I, I wasn't super into it. So this was my first Godzilla. And I, I remember sitting down and watching. <laughs> and um, when Godzilla lit up, I freaked the fuck out. Um, I thought it was the best thing. No one told me Godzilla lit up. Um, I love things that light up, honestly. Uh, and it was just amazing. I left that theater on such a high. Um, it was very, oh, it was very exciting. Hold on. Is the, is the, not to jump the gun, but is the argument you're making in the moment that that scene, the power of that scene of seeing Godzilla light up and the execution and the build up to it carried us through three more movies. Like that was enough. To get you to Godzilla versus Kong. Honestly, yes. Great, I support it. Yes, I agree with you that it, that setup was immaculate. I, it was. I very also, immaculate. I also don't disagree with Libby when you consider the fact that the King of Monsters poster is Godzilla shooting the light into the sky from his body, and the That's biggest true. moment from the trailer of Godzilla versus Kong was Kong coming at Godzilla with the axe and Godzilla breathing the fire, like that. His laser fire. It might be enough to have carried this through four movies. There's just nothing. That's the only connective tissue you need. The gobbledygook surrounding it, you can forget. But if he does the fire breath, you're good. Yeah. Well, like what? It's 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 um that universal language of cinema. What? What else do we have that provides that? Uh, the, like, there's not. I mean, you can watch a a Star War, and you know it can split a ship in half, and there are lightsabers and shit. But like. A giant monster shooting flame, nuclear flames from its mouth, and it's blue, which is every child's favorite. Like, you know, you want the blue sucker, you want the blue popsicle, you want that. Like, there's just something innately. I love this. I want this. This is very exciting. Um, and then you loop in Kong, and Kong brings, Kong himself brings the human aspect to this because he is an ape because uh he is so so human without all of the terrible things about humans yeah i mean he's very he's very innocent but when when provoked he will tear a a a dinosaur's head off and and drink its brains like i I mean who among us has not uh been in that place uh, so I, I mean I think the combination of the two is is giving people something is giving people is scratching a certain cinematic itch, you know we've always like humanity has always been obsessed with huge monsters like we that has always been um, there's always been a lore there's always been the leviathan and and, and these things that we can't explain I I think it's just something we inherently love so if it's done pretty well. Uh, our bar's pretty low, and uh, it's definitely entertaining enough to get a little wasted, get a little high, 
throw it on streaming in the middle of uh, in the middle of a, a low key weekend and and have a relatively good time. And this scratched all of those itches for me. Yeah, and, I, and I, I think mean, I think it's enough to sustain a series. I, I mean, we have there's a cinematic universe where people drive fast cars and like I don't like that is very successful. They do more universe. than drive the cars fast. They do all sorts of crazy things with the cars. Yeah. They also drive them furiously. I understand. <laughs> I, w- I will say, Libby, you hit on something that I never really thought about is the fact that, like, even in a Star War, that is mapping on to things that exist in our world. It's a dogfight. It's a, it's it's an atomic bomb. Like, the, like blowing up the Death Star. You know, these are things that, like, exist in our world just, like, transposed into outer space. You could, I guess you could make an argument that, like, Godzilla versus Kong is, you know, the battles of nature on a scale, on a magnitude, you know, 10 times, 100 times what they what they actually are. But they still feel otherworldly and, and aren't uh, there's not a direct correlation to something that exists in our natural world. It's not planet Earth tuned up to 11. It's like this is wholly different. And it's not even like Planet of the Apes where it's like just like humanity, but apes. Yeah. Uh, so obviously better than humanity but um, well, I, I also think you make a good point just in the sense that one of the things that connects a lot of these cinematic universes is the spectacle more necess- more than necessarily the story like in tv what we've you know become invested in and, and typically you know uh, keeps us coming back week to week are the characters and what's happening to those characters you know uh, over the course of, of years really but if you're going to be building a cinematic universe in which you only visit them for two hours every two to three years, or, you know, in Marvel amps it up, you're visiting some of them or parts of it, you know, one at a time over the course of a certain amount of time, you, you have to have something to come back to that's that's not necessarily just waiting for the next beat of the story. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the character. Like, it does make a certain degree of sense that we would come back to Kong versus Godzilla to relive just the incredible spectacle that we saw the fir- in the first film to be like, this is the basis of a lot of studio sequels. Like the this, this first one was great. You want to have that emotion again. And when you're dealing with, when you're dealing with subjects that are just big, giant, destructive creatures who fight things, then you're just going to have to keep delivering the satisfying spectacle of watching those big, giant creatures fight. And, you know, I think that, I would have preferred a different outcome for sure in Kong versus Godzilla. I also would have preferred a different style to presenting these warring creatures. But was I still happy to watch them fight? Absolutely. Uh, they Adam Wingard, the director, did a good job. And it's much different than what Gareth Edwards did. It's a much different kind of movie. Um, but he's still smart enough and savvy enough to capitalize on the spectacle of it all. And yeah, that's probably enough. Uh, is this is this the time when you cry about Kong? Again, I think we should phrase it more as the time that Libby gloats about Godzilla. But, uh, but yeah, big spoiler warning for anyone who doesn't know the ending and wants to preserve uh, the suspense. Uh, I think Kong got absolutely destroyed in this movie. I do not think he won a single bit of it. Um, there's that awkward line that Leo and I talked about for the pod where somebody, I think it was Alexander Skarsgård, says, well, looks like Kong won round two. And it was like he had to say that so that you knew Kong got a win because it looked like it <laughs> was very much a tie at that point. Otherwise, it's a TKO. Um, he was knocked, right, <laughs> knocked down like, three times. He's out. 
it's but over. I guess I guess it's just you know, whatever. But by the end, it it was very clear that Godzilla won the fight. And I do. I also I will give them credit for choosing a victor, giving us a decisive victor, rather than punting down the line as I expected them to do. Where it's like once you know Godzilla won the first fight, they'd let Kong win the second fight, and then they'd come together to fight the Mecha Godzilla. That seemed like the obvious story beat for them to to give us a winner. I respect for the decisions they made leading up to that winner. I have lots of questions. Guys, what did you expect? Like, it's a walking nuclear reactor. Like, what did you expect exactly? I, I think I think what we needed. I think what I needed as a, as a Kong Stan was. Uh, was a little more logic from Kong. And he didn't really bring that until the second battle, it felt like. And obviously, the first one, he's sedated. It's mostly on water. It's not his fault, I don't think. That's an unfair fight. That's not a good place for Kong to be. Godzilla is amphibious. He can be in the water and, and on land. He's, he's very good in both in both arenas. It's the old Bear v. Huge shark. Huge home field advantage. It's the old Bear v. Shark Huge. scenario that I mentioned in our Slack channel. It's like Kong in, in too much water, Kong is useless, just like a bear would be in, in open sea against a shark. And I think that's what happened there. I think on land, using a weapon, you know, Kong is better. That was I, when, when I was watching Kong Skull Island, I wrote to you guys like, here's the advantage. He can use tools. He, he has, you know, thumbs, he uses tools, he can do these things. And I think it, I and did it, get nervous when he pushed, when Godzilla started pushing Kong toward the water during the fight. I, he got him toward the bay and I was like, oh, no, 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 get away from that's Kong. That's not where you want to be right now. Um, but yeah, and also that's, see, that's, I think, a mistake from Kong as well as, you know, to take ourselves outside of the story, the, the directors and the conceptual artists, if you're going to tear down a city, if you're going to, you know, destroy Hong Kong, let Kong pick up some shit in the city and use it in the fight. Like, don't just let buildings crumble around him. You know, like, grab, like, rip a chunk out of a notable bridge, grab a sign off of a building, and shove it into Godzilla's mouth. Like, let's have a little more fun with the surroundings, which didn't really happen. Anyway, he I'm did sorry. a little bit. Like, he, he had picked up a crane yeah. to use as a weapon at one point. I thought that was very... He used, a top of a, used like, a top of a building as, like, a shield for, for a hot second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I just wanted more specifics, but uh. I, I will say, and granted, Kong hasn't hasn't had anyone sort of challenge him in a long, long time, aside from the Skull Crusher from the first uh, Kong Skull Island nice. movie. Which he's not training. Ago, he's not right? training or all the time. 40, it's Rocky One, you guys. Like, like he, he's he's. I mean, the victory is is in is in showing up and and holding his own. He he was in it through the end and i know that's not satisfying for you but you have to understand like it was shocking he made it out of the first 42 minutes to be completely honest so like this is all i love it's a moral a victory one. a moral victory i for can't Kong. believe i can't I believe that instead this. of gloating i am sitting here trying to console you two losers uh and your big stupid monkey that's stupid. I know. I think. I think that's what I, I wanted. Well, that's smart. I wanted a little more tac- tactical uh, thinking on Kong's part, but I think what I'm saying is he didn't have a lot of practice. Yeah. Godzilla in the last movie had to fight Listen. all the monsters. Yeah. yeah. Godzilla had to fight all the monsters, yeah. and 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 who won? Monster Zero and beat Monster Zero. Like Godzilla has had practice recently. That last Kong battle yeah, was 1973. Also... 
Let's also not forget that Godzilla was given like a crazy amount of nuclear energy at the end of the last movie. So you could argue that he was roided up, which is an unfair advantage against Kong as well. I mean, you're telling me that Godzilla, d- or you're telling me that Kong didn't gain any energy from the bouncing around Hollow Earth? <laughs> I don't think so. It, it, that's like taking a long distance flight. That's like flying from, you know, uh, no. from England to Los he Angeles and then like getting into a healed. fight. You're going to be a little, little bit, you know. I thought, I thought you were talking about the, 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 like the atomic the de- defibrillator thing to, to bring him back from the, the cusp of death. No, no, no. No, that's like after you have one heart attack, you're more susceptible to your second heart attack. I, I don't think that helped him at all. But, but can we talk about the, the team up nor- so... toward the end where uh, they work together to solve a problem? Which is all anyone really wanted. I, no, I, that sucked. I think that's the that's the lesson for for anyone watching. You got to work together to solve problems. Listen, I want to talk about how Godzilla didn't kill your boy. Like <laughs> could have, it didn't. Could have, you didn't. Definitely could have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. again, like you this, walked away. This brings us back to his respect. Well, good thing he didn't, because uh, he would have died otherwise. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> came that's came what, back. The, yeah, we all would have died. It's supposed to be the balancing act here, but. Um, I guess if there was one theme that you could take away from this from the franchise overall, it would be balance. Like it would be like there's a need for balance in on the planet. I guess not necessarily the universe, but um, but that in and of itself is is such a stretch. And um, I think that the I think that it is to Libby's point. I think that it is a mistake in this movie and a mistake overall to kind of keep manipulating Godzilla into whatever he needs to be in the moment. Like it felt like they started off on such sound footing in the original picture where it's like, listen, you know, we did this to ourselves. Now he's got to intervene and, and save us from our own, you know, fuck ups and kind of coming to the realization of Godzilla as a hero figure in that original movie seemed like such a journey for us to make and such a journey for the characters, you know, as thin as they were to go on uh, and to find kind of, you know, a respect for, for nature and for earth and for you know the balance of things again, that that felt like it just kind of drifted out the window, especially by this movie where all of a sudden, as soon as, as soon as Godzilla resurfaces at the beginning, Kyle Chandler, our hero from the third film, uh, suddenly just reverts and is like, well, Godzilla's here and he's and he's tearing stuff up. He's evil now. Let's try to figure out a way to kill him. After the whole, like, his, like, the two Godzilla movies have been about completely changing people's minds about what Godzilla is and why he's here. And then, the, again, they just ask them to revert back to a mentality that isn't justified. And it's it's, again, the kind of logic that you expect from dumb, stupid, but fun entertainment. And you just have to go with it. But it is frustrating, at least for me, and as if you were someone who was attached to Godzilla as a character, for them to manipulate them like that to just kind of make it more acceptable to see jets shoot missiles at Godzilla again. Like, why do they keep doing that? It has no effect on him. I don't understand. They do it in every movie. And it's just like, this doesn't doesn't hurt. Although I was very, I like to to circle back a little bit. It was great when uh, Kong would uh, grab a plane and whip it at Godzilla. Uh, That was amazing. It was great when uh, Kong crushed that that spaceship in his hand and was just like like without even think. He was just like, I don't want (laughs) this. This is and then like 
wiped his like, <laughs> did the it was like the after like the ugh, that's just gross. I have something gross on my hand. Um, that was great. Uh, but yeah, it is it is very it is very frustrating that they are trying to force these two characters into very like tired uh, human tropes. Like like why did I watch any of the first if it's just going to be like well Godzilla's bad and Kong is good and the way you know Kong is good is because he fucking knows sign language now right. um, and has red blood. Uh, <laughs> they should have allowed Godzilla to be able to, to communicate telepathically with uh, Millie Bobby Brown. I think that would put him on even uh, playing field. I think so too. <laughs> I just think that there is a there is an uh, there is a natural. I don't know. I think they just lost. They did. They just. They just lost whatever uh, thread they they kind of had at the beginning of of this um, cinematic universe. Like Godzilla was. Came to be a, a sort of a grand uh, balance, uh, erectifying the balance of the of the earth to like save the earth, as as we talked about. And um, I don't know, Dragon Kong into it was always going to be dicey. You couldn't just you couldn't just um, have it be a supremacy thing because there's no investment in that. Um, so then trying to rehash everything as you know bad versus good was weird it, it, they just they really honestly should have just and what they were trying to do was like man is really the evil um they should have just leaned back into that like because clearly that was the subtext of everything it was men manipulating uh kong to get him off the island to get him to hollow earth it was man um well, and man manipulating out. Kong to just keep him in the bubble. Yeah. Like when they put him in a bubble instead of letting him roam across the island oh, at the yeah. beginning. Like like you're saying, all the pieces were there for, for it to be these two titans need to be left alone and do their own thing. And you need to respect that as opposed to try to control everything like people do. But at some point we should talk about how this was cast almost entirely with TV All-Stars. Um, and, and yeah, and to go back to a very distant point... I think uh, that's exactly why, you know, this universe couldn't work as a week-to-week series, obviously, because uh, the characters are not very fleshed out. Um, We don't actually need to see them week-to-week because they're doing the one thing over and over again, although it seems to work for CBS. But um, with the MCU, that is what we're we're seeing too. Like, do we need to? Are these characters deep enough? Are they well rounded enough? Do we have the ability to get them to the place where they're well rounded enough, where we need to be seeing them week to week? And I don't know. I love seeing, uh, I love seeing Falcon and Bucky. I I love seeing Sam and Bucky argue over what a witch or a wizard or a an alien is. Um, but I don't know how to rectify that with all of the also hyper serious things they're trying to they're trying to fold into that into Falcon and Winter Soldier as well. I mean, as we've discussed a bunch on the podcast, I think it is it will be interesting to see how the MCU continues to develop its television projects specifically because it does feel like the early ones are uh, very clear versions of 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 the movies that have just been broken up into parts and and kind of put a TV aesthetic on top of it. Um, but what I also think is interesting about the Godzilla versus Kong development and the manipulation of Godzilla into whatever you need him to be, it does kind of mimic the 
the pushback that we see in certain TV shows that go on long enough where then they make their characters make certain decisions that the fans reject. That the fans are like, no, 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 I've come to know this person long enough. I know they wouldn't do that. I know why you're doing that. I know, you know, what you're trying to get them to do, like to put them in a position to, you know, have a battle or to increase drama or to just continue the series or whatever the, you know, the motivation is. But people usually reject that. Like people usually, if they do have an attachment to that character, that becomes the tipping point for the series. And they're like, we're out. Like, I can't trust you guys anymore. This is going to be a breaking point. And I think that's what will be interesting uh, in terms of how the MonsterVerse continues. We don't know exactly what's next, um, but are people going to feel like, okay, <laughs> I didn't I either really liked the original Godzilla and didn't like what it turned into, or I didn't like the original Godzilla and what it turned into is still something different and weird um but is the spectacle is the memory of godzilla and kong going to be strong enough to just push it through or are they going to have to reboot in some way or are we going to be dealing with a whole whole heck of a lot more hollow earth for the next 10 to 15 years um that that notion that like skull island was the dumping grounds or i, I don't remember the term for hollow earth like monster creation yeah. like that that's where all of the monsters were from and then they just kind of had a, an output on Skull Island, which is why it had so many weird things happening in that movie. Um, like, that's a perfect setup for I mean, whatever comes next. That's, but. That, that is the only thing that I see sort of on the books. I don't know how, how locked in it is, but apparently there's a Skull Island uh, animated series uh, that was that is connected to the MonsterVerse. I guess Netflix bought January of this year. Um but I don't know when, when that's going to come out or when it's going to be produced. But that, that does kind of seem like the next logical jumping off point from this movie to like burst some new monsters for them to fight. Uh, we need new monsters. Yeah. Also, in terms of the cast, like you mentioned, let me, you could make the argument that that first movie made a very declarative statement and that we are going to focus on TV stars. We're going to lean on TV stars who you've already come to love and have a connection with by starting the movie with Brian Cranston, known television star, known beloved father figure from Malcolm in the Middle and slightly less beloved but <laughs> respected father figure from Breaking Bad, uh, staring at uh, acclaimed film actress Juliette Binoche as she gets murdered in the first like five minutes. So it's basically saying, bye-bye movie stars. We're going to trust the TV people yeah. to carry us through. And yeah. then you've got... You've got, you know, Kyle Chandler, dad of all dads, yeah. trying to build an emotional connection in the third Godzilla. You got, you got so. True Bloods, Alexander Skarsgård, uh, Stranger, oh, Stranger Things, Millie Bobby Brown. <laughs> Emmy winning, Emmy winning, <laughs> Emmy winning Alexander Skarsgård. Uh, Big Little Lies, Emmy winning. Uh, it, uh, Atlanta, Atlanta's uh, Brian Tyree Henry. Uh, you get, of course, early editions, Kyle Chandler. Right, very good. <laughs> did did nice. um, yeah, because you can at least do John Goodman from Roseanne mm-hmm. uh, in Kong Skull Island. Eugene Eugene Cordero Tom from Hiddleston. The Good Place, Pillboy shows up in Kong Skull Island. Oh, uh, Golden Globe winner Tom Hiddleston for The Night Manager. So yeah, we've got some TV there. Uh, I'm sorry, United States of Terra's Brie Larson. <laughs> right, great point. Uh, also, good. The Good Place is Mark Evan uh, Jackson. Very, yes, uh, who was 
just rudely murdered in that movie. I, I, think, I think that might be my favorite thing of all these movies is how indiscriminately characters are killed off. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, and just uh, never mentioned again. Which I think is sort of... I, and I see all the points... Not to get back to the first question Ben asked me. I see all the points people make about Godzilla 2014. That it's not about the humans. That the humans are boring. That the humans are whatever. But in some ways, that movie... The way it actually does treat its human characters... You have these, these sort of three main characters... That stay alive throughout the whole entire thing... And are sort of always at the right place... At the right time... To catch Godzilla doing whatever he has to do. Like the Aaron Taylor Johnson, uh, Johnson character is essentially everywhere Godzilla is at every point in Godzilla's journey. Um, where I'd rather just have that be random people getting murdered and slaughtered. Because the thing that movie does best is have, <laughs> is have the scope to like Cloverfield it up and have it be like I'm staring at a massive trunk of a leg. And Godzilla's head is 400 feet above me. Like, I can... It is so high above me. Um, as opposed to, I think, a lot of these last three movies, which feature action shot as if they were humans. And the buildings are, are you know, going back to, like, the old Toho versions of Godzilla. But, like, don't give you that same sense of scope and scale like that first that Godzilla is, does. God, that's such a good point, Leo. Uh, I hadn't... I hadn't really thought of that, even though while I was watching last night, there were many times where I was like, how big is, I don't understand how big, like, they they, kept, they seem to keep fluctuating in sizes, specifically Kong. Uh, yeah. Y- you know, I, as for as much as I loved, uh, as much as I stupid loved watching this movie, um, <laughs> which I think is how I have to care, because I, I, it's not a good movie. Um, let's just be honest. Uh, like they, it was just like, I, I never had, they, they lost the scope. The scope was all over the place. Kong seemed pretty tiny whenever, when he was in hollow earth, he seemed, you know, normal, like appropriately sized when he was fighting Godzilla, but also the buildings didn't seem tall enough. Like it was just, it was, um. I w- that's such a good point and I haven't seen Godzilla I didn't actually revisit any of the films uh, in the lead up to this so I haven't seen that in a while And um, but now that you mention it that that is very clear to me and honestly I think one of the, the f- most frightening things about the Godzilla movies and something that we even the Toho films used to see a lot because you would always see the people like Looking, looking up in fear, and we don't. There was like really have. There was that like one anymore. or two shots in the big fight in Hong Kong where like, I, I'm like, oh, that's kind of an homage where it's like people running into the subway and like you kind of see stuff yeah. happening above them, but like it's not enough to sort of like. I almost feel like you want to mm-hmm. see a lot of the fight from that vantage and like see these buildings coming down and like see it scaled that way. Um, I agree with you. The would, Kong's, Kong's scale was all over the place. The fact that both Kong and Godzilla could fit on a battleship, I, I was like, yeah, uh, I no, that does not work. I did like that Kong jumped from the battleship that he was on to another battleship. Like he went, he hopscotched battleships to get to the bigger one because he was like, no, oh, okay. no, no, this one's not going to be enough for me. I have okay. to do, like, I need a little more leeway over also here. My, also, but my still, friends are on I, the ship. I completely I'm, agree that they did. <laughs> also, my buddies are here. <laughs> that's yeah, that's a great point. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think that this 
you know, to kind of bring it home, I guess, a little bit, the that first Godzilla and the perspectives that it uses, I, I agree that it is somewhat unbelievable in terms of, like, these three characters, Ken Watanabe, Aaron Taylor Johnson, and I don't know who the third one is. I mean, is, Elizabeth actually. Olsen, but also, I say Elizabeth Olsen, and, and their kid. It. Like, their kid happens to be on the Golden Gate Bridge in the middle of the bridge. Yeah. That's the and yeah, I'm like, well, thing. you gotta I, I, be fucking shitting me. But see, this was this was the thing where where I guess I guess it just kind of splits because I don't have a problem with that because I recognize the need to have the perspectives grounded in people who aren't random and that they need to be grounded in people who are going to take a more active role in whatever's going on there. So I thought it was a very smart move for them to make Aaron Taylor Johnson kind of following the military throughout everything that he's doing because one he's part of the military but two the military is going to stick by wherever godzilla is going like they 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 kind of allowed that to happen for me so that i could believe it and then as i mentioned in our in our long threads of spoiler reactions to all of these movies i do think that the that the godzilla movies owes a debt to how they shot cloverfield but it also suffered from that very same kind of reverence that it showed because i think the scale and the impact and everything that you admire about watching uh, Godzilla in that movie comes from you relating to the perspectives in which he's framed and relating to um, kind of the the powerlessness that you feel when you're put in that scenario as opposed to being kind of the godlike person you know just hovering over the hovering over the uh, the action scenes um, but the complaints that were levied against Cloverfield were mainly bottled up in the idea that we didn't see enough of the monster. And I don't think it was ever really a question of not seeing enough of a monster that bothered people. I think it's that um, that they wanted to have a clear picture of something that they didn't actually really want. It's it's the Jaws conundrum. It's the Alien conundrum. It's the we need you really only need to be shown enough to understand what's happening and understand the consequences and then feel the scale and feel the impression of what's happening. And I feel like that's what worked with Godzilla. Like they bottled it all up for that one or two moments in the end where you did get to appreciate what Godzilla had done and, and kind of be awestruck by it as opposed to these movies where they're like, no, we're just going to give the people what they think they want. Uh, and we're going to show them everything we're going to see we're going to have Kong modeled after John McClane, which is a very real thing that the director said that he did uh, in, in like multiple instances where the way that Kong moves and acts in the action scenes and does the fight. The jump is one of them. The shoulder uh-huh. pop where he has Pop-in, to reset his re- like That's another one. Um, and I actually, I noted a third one, but I already forgot what it was. Are you walking on um, glass at any gonna, point? <laughs> I, yeah, probably. I mean, you can make the argument. all over Kong. Um, but that's the but that's the thing that people think they want to see with these, and they're going to give it to them. It's why Kong goes back and forth between acting like an ape and acting like a human. They want you to have a very blatant uh, image of Kong as being a, a human surrogate. And I, again, I don't think that's what actually people want. I think it's just I think it's just easier to give that to them than to try to fight for the other position, which is a lot more effective and would have been more sustainable uh, for this kind of universe. But, you know, um, here we are. You're, you're right about There is something, I'd like to talk to a motion graphics person about this. There is something to the fact that, like, in the first Godzilla film and in the second Godzilla film, King of Monsters, everything is either shot so it's, like, at a, from a person's vantage and you're looking up at this giant thing that you can't really get a whole sense of in one frame, or it's clouded in 
mist or fire or snow. Like King of Monsters, there's some the first fight with like Monster Zero, you can barely see what the hell is happening. Like it's like there's so much digital snow in front of the camera. And it's like they're obscuring Godzilla, I think potentially because Godzilla in the light of day is kind of silly looking. Whereas Kong is just like a bigger version of a of a gorilla. And Godzilla, for whatever reason, just kind of looks silly. He's not quite a dinosaur. He's not quite a lizard. He's this weird thing. <laughs> and so and so they obscure him a bunch in all the movies. That's until why maybe I like you get him to hear. So much. Uh, that's why I like him so much, because he's such a weird chonky boy with such a tiny head. And that's why when the main villain, not man, arrives in uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, I'm just like, I don't like you. You're very bony and not chonky, and it's just not working for me. You're a bad guy. Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video, Bjork Talking About TV, and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brights, and our publisher is James Israel, and our executive editor is Anne Donahue. Our favorite cinematic universes actually exist on TV, and they are the New Girl slash Brooklyn Nine-Nine cinematic universe, the Jason Kadam cinematic universe, and the Carrie Coon cinematic universe. IndieWire's Millions of Screens endorses TV. We love TV. We promise we'll get back to TV next week. Though, as as the poll stated, the majority of people are going to watch Godzilla vs. Kong on TV, on HBO Max. Or their phone, or their computer, or... Oh, no, man. I meant to go on a big, tank. long Veronica Mars movie rant uh, in the middle of that podcast, but I completely the, forgot about it. To be fair, whenever we talk about HBO, we're not really talking about TV. Okay, that's enough. Wrap it up. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at Million Screens at Midwest Spitfire, Ben T. Travers, and Leo Adrian Garcia. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, so leave a review and let us know what you think. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo reminding you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.